Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Chris Stroud. And this is the show where we and our guests will discuss relevant health-related topics and always from an authentically Catholic perspective. Dr. Doctor is brought to you in part by the generous underwriting of our friends at CMF Curo. Learn more at mycatholichealthcare.org. Live your Catholic faith in your health care with CMF Curo. Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us will be Bishop Thomas Paprocki of Springfield in Illinois, who this year published a book titled Running for a Higher Purpose, Eight Steps to Spiritual and Physical Fitness Available through Ave Maria Press of Notre Dame, Indiana. Back in April, one of our biggest fans, I guess we can say that, and a previous guest on our show, Dr. Felix Rodriguez, a Florida-based oncologist, recommended interviewing Bishop about his book. He was especially interested in the topic because he said he was running six to seven days a week. You go, Felix. So this goes to show you that we do sometimes follow through on suggestions from listeners and that even some doctors follow evidence-based advice regarding fitness and exercise. That reminds me of that verse in Acts 6-7 translated in the New American Bible that's used at Mass where it says, The word of God continued to spread and the number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly. Even a large group of priests were becoming obedient to the faith. That always gets a chuckle out of me. And and just like we would expect priests to be the first to be obedient to the faith, admittedly, that verse refers to Jewish priests. Doctors should be the first ones to follow through on health-related wisdom. Hardly ever the case. (laughs) Felix and Tom and I uh, are part of... To a degree or another, the 15% of the U.S. population, 50 million people are there about, that participates weekly in some form of running or jogging. Not exercise in general, but specifically running or jogging. That's according to a 2020 report from the Sports and Fitness Industry Association. About 18 million of those people registered for road races in 2018. And Chris, I understand that uh, recently physical fitness has taken a bigger role in your life. Well, you know, like probably a lot of us, my physical fitness history has been full of fits and starts, Uh, more fits than starts overall. Uh, But as I approach the sixth decade in life, I have to say it's changed. And I would classify it using some terms that you may not be familiar with. I would call exercise in the early years uh, falls into the LGN category. That stands for look good naked. And then as we age, it it transitions into the uh, uh, probably more look good clothed. Uh, And then as we approach my age and the sixth decade, it really is more about how do I stay around to enjoy my grandchildren and how do I avoid injury? I got to tell you, I like this phase better for the record than those other phases because it really seems to make more sense now. Um, But I I love to be active. I always feel better when I exercise. I simply don't understand why it's so blasted hard, given that no, there's no question I feel better when I do it, but yet some days it's next to impossible to do. But you're an avid exerciser, and specifically, you're a morning exerciser. How did that come to pass? I, I never used to be. I used to hate getting up early, but after I was uh, able to get off through the help of some of our previous guests, uh, you know, 30 years of medicines to treat my anxiety, uh, my sleep cycle changed so that I was waking up earlier. And it's like, well, if I'm going to be awake, hmm. I might as well exercise now. And what happened is I was exercising more often because I would usually wait till the end of a day. Well, at the end of a day of surgery, I'd be so worn out or it'd go so long, I wouldn't have time. This way, it became a regular part of my schedule. So humble us and tell tell us that you have days where you don't want to exercise. Uh, That's most days. (laughs) But I always feel so much better when I do it. And after learning from Kevin Majors about the impact on mental health and ability to focus and think and do fine motor tasks, which is what I'm doing all day on people's faces, it's like, gosh, I'm doing this not just to feel good, but to be better for my patients and more alert for my family. Yeah, I think we're going to learn a lot listening uh, to Bishop on this important topic. But, you know, there's so much psychological noise going on in our heads, I think, about exercise. And we're not talking about weight loss. We're not talking Mm -hmm. about looking better. We're talking about being healthy and being the best version of ourselves possible. Um, But we're not talking about being professional bodybuilders at gyms. We're talking about being active uh, and getting exercise. It's what we're made to do. 
Uh, the body was meant to move. And we're talking here about fitness, which is different than sports. Mm, good I point. mean, some people enjoy sports, but a lot of people don't. A lot of people want to do things alone. That's fine. There's so many different things you can find that you enjoy. And when we talk about fitness, you know, they typically talk about three different aspects of it. They talk about cardiovascular endurance. Mm. They talk about strength. And they talk about flexibility. And they're all important. I remember we had a spinal surgeon uh, on maybe a couple of years ago on the show, and he used that phrase that I just loved. He said, motion is lotion for the joints. And that really stuck with me. This idea, if we want to keep moving, we better keep moving. Uh, Particularly as we age, we we need to move. We need to be less sedentary. Movement begets movement. It's incredible. I was blessed because in my college biology degree, I had to take a class called Lifetime Fitness. And, you know, before I turned 20, it was set in my mind, I, every week, am going to do something for my upper body, something for my core, and something several times a week for cardiovascular fitness. It just became a routine part of life. And I try to instill that in my kids, too. You know, I think about our good friend, Dr. Dave Kaminskis, cardiologist extraordinaire, and he's always given us some terrific pearls uh, about overall health. But, you know, I remember him saying the highlights, wear a seatbelt, if you drink, drink less, eat better, lose a little weight, and exercise regularly. What a great recipe for fitness and for happiness overall. Oh, amen. And while this show is about running, because that's what the bishop mostly does for his fitness, and uh, but he does do some roller hockey and ice hockey, um, there are many types of exercise that you can do. But if you are a runner, one of the pearls I want to share with you is the wisdom of what's called midfoot running. In other words, if you were to run without shoes on, where would you land? You would land in what we call the ball of the foot or the middle of the foot. And when you land that way, your lower extremity is bent like a spring. But when you land on your heel, your lower extremity, your legs are straight. So all the tension is going through the ankles, the knees, and the hips. And there's actually more uh, joint injuries with that. So, Tom, you're an experienced runner. So if if one of our listeners has never run uh, except maybe to the bathroom when they were ill, and they say they listen to the show and they listen to Bishop and they say, tomorrow I'm going to start running, what advice would you give them? Start slow. (laughs) Slow and short. I mean, if you started three times a week, five minutes just jogging or or do a walk jog, walk a minute, jog 30 seconds, walk a minute. I mean, there are a number of programs. And Bishop is going to talk about uh, Hal Higdon, who has a number of different programs he's written that are free online that you can find. Uh, The other thing is, you know, there are videos on midfoot running. And one of them is by the company that makes the shoes I wear, Newton's. This is not a paid ad, but Newton's makes shoes so that when you land on your forefoot, that's where the extra uh, support is. It's not on the heel. So better is the enemy of good. Don't listen to that voice that says, you're too old, you're too out of shape, you're too heavy, you can't exercise. Get up uh, and get moving. So we are on to that coveted part of the show called the medical trivia question of the day. Category... Injuries and long-distance runners. In a 2007 report in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, they examined many studies that examined injuries in runners. What was the most common location for injuries in runners? And I'm going to give you a list of seven locations. Yes, multiple choice, one out of seven. Is it the heel, moving up the ankle, or the shin, moving up yet to the calf, the knee, the thigh, or the hip? And, as a bonus, what training technique that Bishop Paprocki will talk about was demonstrated to protect against this type of injury? Listen closely to the show. We'll be back at the end with the answer here on Dr. Doctor. Welcome to our special guest interview today. We have with us one of the shepherds of our church, Bishop Thomas John Paprocki. He's the Bishop of Springfield in Illinois. He's not only a canon lawyer, but he also uh, has a civil law degree, a JD. He also has a master's in business administration. He speaks at least five languages. I don't know when he does it all, but he also wrote a book. And that's what we're here to talk about today. And the book is called Running for a Higher Purpose. Bishop Paprocki, welcome to Dr. Doctor. It's great to be with you and your listeners. Well, so Bishop... You know, not everybody writes a book. You've written a couple books now. What led to you wanting to write this book? Well, uh, I guess I start with what led me to write the first book. So the first book was called Holy Goals for Body and Soul, Eight Steps to Connect Sports with God and Faith. And I co-authored that with my brother Joe. 
uh, who's been writing books. He is um, a layman, married, has children, but uh, he's been working for the church all his life. So he's published some some of his own books, on, uh, particularly on catechesis, on teaching religious education. People have uh, sometimes asked me if, uh, uh, about my books, thinking that uh, that these were my books when they were were actually my brother's books. So we, we decided <laughs> that well, we're going to co-author a book. So oh, we wrote great. that book kind of from a hockey perspective, uh, which is uh, uh, something uh, that me and my my siblings are very much in, involved with. Uh, so I have six brothers and two sisters. So kind of a built-in hockey team there. So we we talked about that the connection between sports uh, with God and faith. And then uh, that was uh, published through Ave Maria Press yes. at the University of Notre Dame. And uh, they came to me last year in January and said they were pleased with the sales on the first book and they wanted me to write a, a second book more from the point of view of my other experience of running because I've done 24 marathons. <laughs> and they said, well, uh, marathon running and just running in general is pretty popular these days. So they were actually interested in sort of a how-to book uh, for someone who's uh, thinking about getting into running or if you're a runner thinking about getting into marathon running and having run 24 marathons, then maybe you can share some tips with that. So this was in January of uh, 2020. And uh, they said, can you, can you uh, have it done by June 15th? Wow. <laughs> and I said, well, I mean, I had a full schedule of confirmations, especially yes. in the spring ahead of me. I said, that's going to be a challenge. Let me see what I can do. And then in March, of course, COVID uh, came and yes. my, my public schedule and confirmations <laughs> got canceled. I finally, I, 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 I suddenly found myself with a lot of free time. And so I, uh, I tell people I sort of went back into my dissertation mode. Yes. And uh, so I would just uh, every day spend a, uh, some time, usually in the morning, doing some writing. So I, f- I had it actually finished by May 31st. So uh, Two weeks early. So it's like people say, what did you do during the shutdowns of COVID? Well, I wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> you made good use. Uh, well, it seems like reading your book, you know how to make good use of time. Uh, what Now, this is a show about health and medicine. So what is the connection between running and health and the faith? You know, Put it all together for us. Well, one of the key points that I, I address in the first chapter is the connection between uh, body and soul. So uh, that, that's a, an important concept that I think uh, we need to um, kind of refresh our understanding of that and, and our world today. So it, it's, a, it's a very basic Judeo-Christian concept, which is different from the, what the ancient Greeks uh, thought about the relationship between body and the soul. The ancient Greek philosophers uh, saw the body as sort of a shell. Yes, and the the eternal principle was was your spirit or your soul, and so if you know when you died, you sort of throw that shell away and you don't need it anymore, and you will you'll be immortal as a, a spiritual being, and the the Christian concept is very different from that. You know, we say in the creed, uh, we believe in the resurrection of the body, yes, and life everlasting, and uh, I think some people perhaps think uh, that that refers to the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and it's actually referring to the resurrection Ours. of our body. You know, yes. the reference to Jesus comes earlier in the creed. We talk about Jesus uh, was uh, uh, crucified and uh, buried and rose again on the third day. Uh, that's about Jesus. And when we say at the end of the creed, resurrection of the body, that's about us. Yes. And so we have this sense that, uh, or this belief that when we die, yes, there will be a temporary separation of our body and soul. Uh, but when Christ comes again at the second coming, our bodies will be raised up in a glorified form. And, and, uh, and so that's re- really what we have to look forward to. And I'm not sure Christians e- themselves even understand that sometimes because I get a sense, you know, uh, uh, I think in our culture today, a lot of people are kind of going back to this. The Greek notion is I don't need my body. Oh, yes. In fact, just an interview yesterday with Carter Schneed about how that whole idea that what makes us essentially human is autonomy. Right. Uh, buys into all that whereas we need to realize we are embodied beings which brings up a question i thought you know in reading your book so how is the the goodness with which we take care of our body on earth related to the resurrection of our body later well i think uh, for me the the whole point is really respecting the dignity of the body you know, so yes, God is all powerful. So even when you're when a person is cremated, yes, yes. God, God can raise up the ashes. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's not going to prevent uh, our, our our resurrection of the body because a person is cremated. Nonetheless, 
the church had a longstanding prohibition on cremation, yes. and even to this day, the church teaches that um, pro- that cremation is not the preferred form of burial. Why? Because even if a person isn't consciously choosing cremation as a statement about disbelief in the resurrection, I've, I've never heard anyone say, oh, I want to be uh, cremated because I don't believe in the resurrection. Right. It's more implicit, though. I think when somebody says, well, I want... When I die, you can cremate me and spread my ashes across Disney World. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, yes. Then it's sort of like, well, what are you saying like, there? Yes. You're saying that you don't really believe in, in the resurrection. So it's the, really the point of uh, the dignity of the human body and uh, respecting what St. Paul wrote in the, his letter to the Romans about the, uh, the body being a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, therefore, just as we would adorn uh, our churches or temples with you know beautiful art and uh, tributes to Almighty God, we, we should treat our body in a way that really uh, treats it as a temple of the Holy Spirit uh, and gives glory to God. So, who should consider reading your book, and particularly, which listeners should consider? starting running you, you give uh something that's a little provocative in the end you said people may have a vocation to run that sounds pretty heady can, can you explain that well a vocation is a call from god so i mean if god is calling us to do that uh you know there are vocations within vocations yes. so i mean i'm yes i'm a priest and a bishop but i also have this uh i think it is a vocation to to run that our lord uh, asked us, uh, asked me to do. I think the book could actually be read by anyone. Uh, so the whole point of the connection between physical and spiritual fitness, the relation between body and soul, that uh, when I'm running or any kind of exercising, it could be uh, swimming, biking, even walking, uh, that uh, I feel better. So my uh, my soul, you might say, uh, is lifted up by my physical running, and then conversely, when I'm doing physical training, like running for a marathon, uh, training for a marathon, or running a marathon, you have to dig deep into spiritual resources uh, in order to do that. So there's there's a connection both ways with body and soul there. But also, I would say, in particular, if a person is thinking about getting into running. Uh, or a runner who's thinking about getting into marathon running. I do give some practical tips there. Oh, you give great tips in the book. How to do that. And I I very intentionally uh, wove uh, the body and soul uh, elements together uh, because I didn't do like this uh, one chapter is on spiritual fitness and the next chapter is on physical fitness. It it all goes together. Yes. So the the eight steps that I I have, for example, uh, they all really... Uh, uh, relate to this because you have uh, it starts well I'll just quickly say what they are review reform resolve repeat renew relax reward and rejoice I like I like these uh, alliterations there Um, it works but let's just take the first one for example review so you can review your spiritual state and you review your physical state yes so uh, in terms of physical condition I tell my own story how When I was a teenager, um, I was reflecting on the fact that three of my grandparents died in their 50s from heart disease. And I was thinking, well, that's not a very good gene pool. (laughs) (laughs) And I was starting to read some of the uh, things that were coming out then about the cardiovascular benefits of aerobic training. So I thought, well, if I want to live past 55, I better run, bike, or swim, or some combination. I'm not a very good swimmer, so it was going to be... Running seemed to be the most efficient, so I just I picked it up and went a mile, ran a mile, which I hated. <laughs> um, <laughs> How old were you when you did this? Uh, first I was time? a senior in high school, okay. and uh, uh, but I I t- told myself no, I, I I have to do this. So that's where the other steps come in. Then so I reviewed my situation, realized I needed to do something if I wanted uh, to to not die of a heart attack when I was 55. So that's the reform step, you know, I'm going to do something about the resolve then is to make up my mind, even though this is hard to do, I'm going to do this. Similarly, in the, in the spiritual world, uh, that review of life we call an examination of conscience. Yes. So, and we should do that actually every day, you know, at the end of a day or even during the day, just kind of do what we call a brief uh, examine. Yes. And you look and see, um, what if, uh, how are things going? Are there things that I'm, you know, I'm not living up to what the Lord is calling me to do? And, and then at some point, when we recognize our sins, we, we go to the sacrament of penance and, and we confess our sins. And uh, so part of that is the contrition and then this uh, firm purpose of amendment 
not to commit sins again before we, we then receive absolution. So that ties in here too. So with that reform and the resolve, I resolve I'm not, I'm, with God's grace, I'm not going to commit these sins. And then you, you move on to the next steps, repeat. Um, you know, you don't run or train for a marathon by going out once and doing a run. No, not at all. <laughs> you got an 18-week training program, which I describe uh, in the book about how to do that. And uh, similarly in our spiritual life, you can't go to mass once and say, okay, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got to keep repeating every day and uh, renewing. That's how we renew ourselves. Re I throw in a step here called relax, you know, that, yes, uh, because that's an important part of, of training. You, you, you can't uh, push yourself to your limit every day. No. You have to have time to sleep in there. I talk about sleep. I talk about nutrition. All of those things are important. And then the same also in your spiritual life. Uh, the Lord said to take a, a day of rest, the Sabbath, you yes. know, the day when we go to church, we go to Mass, and we, we pray. And then all of that leads to the last two points, the reward and rejoice. The reward is crossing that finish line. You know, you've trained so hard and so long, and it's a, a, a great feeling, and that leads to the joy uh, of that last step. And, and in our spiritual lives, the reward, our eternal reward, is we look forward to eternal life and uh, and that life is going to be a life of joy in God's kingdom. And the book is uh, full of stories that link together all these ideas. So if you're reading through the book, it's not just a how-to. It's also giving examples. And, and and you were good about not pulling any punches, you know, things that have gone well in your life, but things that didn't go as well as you wanted to. And I think that's very refreshing for people to read. Now, people who might be thinking about running, something that scares them is that, well, I don't want to run against other people. You know the old phrase, comparison is the thief of joy. Right. If you want to get joy running. So how, how can you encourage somebody who might be thinking about running to run who's afraid that, oh, well, I'm going to be slower than other people? Well, I think there the important thing is to realize that you're really competing against yourself. Uh, and that's important that there, there is a competitive factor in there. And I'm a very com competitive person, especially as a hockey player. But uh, in competition, in, a, in something like a marathon, you're, you're competing against yourself. I tell the story, actually, in my first book, uh, the Holy Goals book, about a time after, or shortly after a marathon that I told my priests about. So we had a convocation of priests. Mm. And uh, we were in, in the buffet line for lunch. And uh, one of our older priests uh, was in the buffet line with me. And he, he just uh, asked me out of the blue, he said, well, did you win? And I, I thought, well, did I win what? And he said, well, that marathon, you just ran a marathon, did you win? And I thought, oh, uh, if you're asking, was I the first person to cross the finish line? No, I've, I've never been the first person across the finish line. <laughs> right. I've never expected to be the first person across the finish line. So in that sense, I guess, no, I didn't win. On the other hand, did I win in the sense of, I set out to run a marathon or perhaps I set out to do a qualifying time for Boston or yes. something like that. Yes, I won because I, I reached my goal. So I think if people would, would uh, keep that in mind that, you know, you set your goals and then winning is, is whatever uh, standard or measure you set out for yourself and that's how you win. That, that's important. Have you met people who have started running either because of talks you've given or of reading this book? Uh, well, I don't, yeah, I don't know necessarily want to take credit for that. I guess God inspires people uh, to do that. But I, yeah, I think I've encouraged people. I, I know what, yes, I, I've definitely have, uh, seen with my seminarians, for example, ah. um, right now, uh, uh, planning on running, uh, the marathon in Indianapolis at the beginning of November. Well, uh, the seminarians for our diocese of Springfield in Illinois go to uh, the college seminary in Indianapolis. Oh, so John DeBrabo? Uh, or Simon uh, Brute. Bishop Simon Brute, Br Bishop uh, Brute College Seminary. And so I was talking, I, I, when I did my visit with them uh, uh, at the end of the school year here, uh, I, I mentioned that in one, I think at least one, perhaps two of the seminarians said, well, if Bishop's going to run this marathon, <laughs> I guess I should do it too. And it's, it's funny sometimes because there have been occasions where I've been visiting seminarians and I'll invite them to go running with me. And, uh, you know, I think they think, well, uh, uh, the bishop is so much older than, than we are. We're going to run circles around the bishop. And then we, we go out there when we're running. And, you know, we're, I, I don't necessarily tell them how far I have in mind to go running. And we, oh. we're going a few miles. And they say, uh, Bishop, when are we going to turn around? <laughs> <laughs> they learn some fascinating things about you, don't they? So you, you talk about when you started running, it was really, it was painful. Yes. but that you figure out a way to get through that pain. So if people experience that, what advice do you have for them? Well, I, I would say, first of all, one of the things uh, about the pain is to identify that with uh, the, uh, the pain of, of Christ on the cross. 
you know, so to experience that. Uh, also in, in the book, I, I tell the, um, I tell some stories and relate how uh, I weave prayer into my yes. running. And so, for example, a very simple prayer is I, I have a little finger rosary that I take with me. It's just a, it's a, a string of, of uh, beads, wooden beads on a string, and I just wrap it around my finger. And uh, I just, uh, you know, if I'm training for a marathon or, or uh, running the marathon, I've got my finger rosary with me. And you, when you're out there, you say a lot of Hail Marys. Yes. So I, t- I tell the story about how one day I was out. I was doing actually one of my long runs, a 20-mile long run, getting ready for a marathon. And so I did my, uh, I don't know how many rosaries, probably all the mysteries that I had done. And I also have a little litany of, of uh, people that I pray for yes. when I'm running. Um, and, and so I, I do that. I don't use uh, headphones or uh, listen to music or anything like that. I tried that when I first started running years ago. Of course, that was, those, that was the days of the, uh, the, the old bulky Sony Walkman. Yes, I remember <laughs> And those. I found that not very easy to carry along, carry along with me. But, um, you know, but then even later, I, I just tried earbuds. And I just, I don't like the idea of, you know, anything coming into my, my ears at that point. Because I just like the notion of the silence and reflecting and um, praying. And so I'll, I'll say my litany. And I'll, I'll have, it's kind of, I, I pray for people by name often. Yes. I'll pray for the Holy Father, for bishops, priests, family members, and then people that have asked me for prayers. As I try to remember as many as I can, or just if I don't remember, I say for anyone that's asked for my prayers or to whom I promised my prayers. And so I was, I was doing that on this long run and uh, going through all the Hail Marys and my, my, uh, my litany. And then I realized it was actually getting to like the last, couple of miles and I thought I've been doing all the talking here <laughs> so <laughs> yes. I you know part of uh, prayer is mental prayer is to just kind of make yourself quiet and when I do that I, I like to invoke the words of Samuel in the uh, Old Testament speak Lord your servant yes. is listening so I did that and I said speak Lord your servant is listening and this uh, thought popped into my mind it, it, uh, several thoughts but the first one was um, hold fast to the cross and I had the finger rosary uh, still in my finger. And usually yes. when I finished the rosary, I would just put it back in my pocket. Sure. This time I still had it. And there's a little cross at the end of the, the string of beads. And I've got, so I'm holding it with my thumb. And so we'll hold fast to the cross. I thought, well, maybe the message is I shouldn't put that back in my pocket just now and just <laughs> hang on to it. Then, of course, obviously, it's a deeper meaning that hold on to the cross of Christ and identify with that. But then what came shortly after that was embrace the pain. And I thought, now I'm at about mile 19 of a 20 mile <laughs> run, and my prayer would be, Lord, take away the pain. <laughs> yes, yes. And yes. instead of take away the pain, I hear this thought, embrace the pain. It's like, you want me to embrace this pain? <laughs> but apparently, to identify with the cross yes. of Christ, that's what it means. And then I. I got uh, another thought that said, uh, don't complain. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. Oh, okay. So I got to embrace this pain. I can't complain about it. And then I don't think it was on the same run. I think it was another run later where I was going kind of through the same thing. And then a fourth thought came to me. It was be be cheerful. Yes. Like, okay, so I'm going to hold fast to the cross, embrace the pain, don't complain about it, and try to be cheerful about all this. And all of that was just in the course of, of running and that is so applicable to our daily lives. You know, what well, we do. and that's the good thing about silence. I'm like you. I, I never want anything in my ears. It is a profound time of prayer and mm-hmm. listening to God. So if people are looking for a way to improve their bodies and souls. Running without something in your ears is a great way to do it, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and to I, I think to be able when you get into that mode of mental prayer and you say, "Speak, yes. Lord, your servant is listening." Well, you've got to have silence to do that and as you know sometimes something like all right so if you're listening to gregorian chant or even christian rock that might inspire you in some ways but i don't think i would have heard those messages right. that i heard if i was listening even to music no my most profound ideas often come when i am running it's like the solution to problems just present themselves it's it's amazing but i, I love that the prayer of samuel is ideal at any oh, yes. time and i've had that experience many times uh when i would uh, when I was chancellor of the Archdiocese of Chicago, I often would go running during lunchtime. Mm. And I would go out, and in, during the morning, there would be some problem that would absolutely befuddle me. I would go out running, and it would just all of a sudden be very clear. And I'd come back to the office, and I feel like I felt like I solved that problem. 
And then there will be other times that I'll, I'll go out also. Uh, more often than not, now I go out first thing in the morning because it's just a little harder yes. to get into my schedule later in the day. But I'll go first thing in the morning, or, and often I'll have a mass either that morning or later in the day. And so I'm thinking about my homily. And uh, sometimes whole homilies will come together <laughs> yes. or chapters of my book while I'm running. <laughs> Which is uh, a beautiful thing. And in other episodes of the show, we've talked about how running another aerobic exercise increases uh, the release of certain chemicals in the brain, one called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF. It actually helps increase the branching of the nerves so the more nerves in the brain are connecting more so we can think more clearly. And it also releases a, another chemical, ANP, atrial natriuretic factor from the heart, which not only helps the heart, but helps us to be calmer. So it's amazing the benefits from running. Now, what specific health benefits have you noticed in your life particularly with your genetic background well I think the one of the biggest benefits is is that I'm um, pretty close to the the same weight I had when I first started running as a high school senior so I think I was 150 pounds when I graduated high school and I'm 165 right now so that's that's not bad for uh, 50 years after graduating high school. So you've made it past your goal of 55 years. I have. So I'm, I'm now actually 16. Uh, I'll be 69 next month. And uh, so I've made it past my goal of living, living to 55. So this is all, all icing on the cake. Uh, but, uh, yeah, definitely that, uh, that, that sense of uh, just f feeling fit uh, and being fit, I think that. Uh, and it's also... Um, well, one of the reasons for getting into running, I, I, I talked about you know, the concerns about uh, the genetics that I inherited, but yes. also I, wanted, I, I exercised to stay in shape to play hockey, <laughs> which is really my favorite sport. And uh, I'm still playing hockey, so that's uh, another benefit of. No, I read in the book you initially just played gym hockey or floor right, hockey, right. and it wasn't until what your 40s that you started ice hockey. I start, uh, yes, so that's right, because uh, well, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and uh, we didn't have any ice rinks nearby, but there was a boys' club near our house, and, uh, and, uh, and so again, this was even before high school, I was in eighth grade, and we had a floor hockey league there, just playing in gym shoes in yes. the gym, and we were picking up sides, and they, they said, we need a goalie, and I volunteered, I said, well, I'll, I'll try it, and I, I enjoyed it and became a goalie and have been doing that pretty much ever since. And so that's why my nickname is the Holy Goalie. <laughs> um, that's my favorite sport. So we, I played floor hockey and then did a little roller hockey. And then eventually I, uh, I taught myself how to ice skate when I was at, in the seminary at Mundelein. And um, that my first year of the seminary um, that January was cold and no snow. And the, the, the lake just froze over solid. And so I'd go out every night with my skates and I would just I skate for an hour, and uh, that's how I taught myself wow. how to skate, and then eventually I, I got into a nice hockey league. You are one motivated man, <laughs> my goodness. Now, something I read in the book I didn't realize, because when I was younger, I used to wear ASICS shoes. This is not an advertisement, but ASICS, A-S-I-C-S, is what you wear, but there's a deep meaning to that name. Well, there is. It's an acronym, actually, if, uh, and uh, surprisingly enough, it's, it's from Latin, the founder of ASICS corporation was Japanese yes but he had this acronym which in Latin is anima sana in corpore sano which basically translates as a sound mind and a sound body so that fits in with what I was talking about earlier yes. the connection between body and soul and so again this is not an advertisement but I do generally wear ASICs uh, not only because I like the name but I've just found them to be very comfortable Shoes. I've I've worn I've worn Nikes. I've worn New Balance and uh, um, you know other brands too. But uh, I've been sticking pretty much with Asics. I, I noticed one of the things in your book that you use that I've actually used in preparing for races is uh, preparation by a man named Hal Higdon. Yes. Want to talk about that? Yes. Hal Higdon is sort of the guru for marathon training for many people. I actually uh, met Hal Higdon when I was living in Chicago and. Uh, I was a member of the Chicago Area Runners Association, and we would run together on Saturday mornings uh -huh. uh, according to pace groups. Yes. And uh, so that was helpful also joining a, a pace group. And, uh, and we would also have workshops. And so the workshops, uh, we would have a nutritionist come in, for example, and talk about uh, what kind of nutrition uh, you should uh, focus on to be a marathon runner. But then we also had Hal Higdon came, come in basically with his program and uh, he would describe it to us, and it's what we use. I think uh, a lot of people use it, whether they realize it or not. They're they're using a program that probably Hal Higdon put together, 
the uh, the program basically is an 18-week training program, although he has lots of variations on this. And he's got a uh, novice, intermediate, advanced, senior citizens, uh, you know, so... You, and he's got it for different distances. So if someone wants to target short, he's got a 5K, right. 10K... And he's got a website, so these are there. He's made these all available on his, uh, his website. But uh, basically, the marathon, the basic marathon training program, is an eighteen-week program that has you uh, increasing your mileage incrementally, and that's part of the genius behind it. So, for example, a novice runner, uh, he advises that before you even start as a novice, you should be running about twenty miles a week. Sure. So you don't just jump in and say, "I'm going to do a marathon." If you're running, uh, if you can do about 20 miles a week, then your f- first week of an 18-week training program would be a six-mile run. Well, if, you're, if your typical run is three miles or four miles, a six-mile run could still be a little daunting. So sure. it's like, okay, i got to do a six-mile run. The next week you do a seven-mile run. And so you, you look at that and you say, well, I ran six last week. A seven-mile run is just to go out another yes. half mile and back, and I can do that. And then he throws in what we call a cutback week. I was talking about the, yes. the rest in there. So you'll do five, uh, you'll do six, you'll do seven, then next week you drop back to five. And then the week after that you pick up where you left off. You, I think nine miles would be the next step. So do nine, 10, 11, and have a cutback week. You drop back to eight. And so you do that building up to a 20-mile run. For beginners, he has you do one 20-mile run. Intermediates would do two 20-mile oh. runs, and advanced would be three 20-mile oh, runs. Okay. But say you're a beginner, you, get, you do a 20-mile run three weeks before the marathon because then you let your body taper. That's, again, the rest and the recover. Yes. So you're, you're tapering. So you go from a 20-mile run, next week 12, next week 8, and then the marathon. So I found myself saying to someone, after I did my 20-miler, they asked me, well, how many miles are you running this week? And I said, well, I'm only doing 12. And then I realized what I said. <laughs> only doing 12. So my body was, was trained. Uh, you know, If I could do a 20-mile, 12 seemed like a piece of cake. But then right. I also, even psychologically, that 12 did not seem like a big deal. You know, you go back to the beginning, six miles was a big deal. Now 12 miles, oh, I did 20, 12 is a piece of cake. You know? <laughs> well, at one time in the book, you said when you were young, you had kind of the enlightenment that, I'm going to be doing this the rest of my life. And it sounds like it was both frightening and comforting. What was that moment like? Because to get to this point where 12 seems like, ah, not a big deal. Yeah, it, it was, um, I don't know that it was exactly frightening. It was almost sort of a statement of fact. It just, ah. I was running. It was, it was actually Christmas Eve in my first year as a priest. Ah. And I was out running and it was, it was um, a, a light snow, which was actually kind of nice. Yes. And then this thought just kind of popped into my mind, you know, this going back to the goal of, uh, you know, this is cardiovascular training so that I can live past 55. The thought was, I'm going to have to do this for the rest of my life. And, but it was a sense that almost more like a commitment that, um, okay, I'm going to do this. And um, it didn't necessarily, uh, you know, frighten me in that sense. But I, I think that over the years, um, it's become somewhat of an addiction for me. It's a healthy addiction if, uh, because of those uh, um, natural painkillers that sure. you get. You know, people that talk about the runner's high. I've, yes. yes, I've definitely experienced the runner's high. Usually not while I'm running. It's, right. it's when I finish, and it's not just the relief of being of being done. No, but it's the sense you've got all these chemicals, natural chemicals, uh, coursing through your brain, and it's just a great feeling. And so, uh, on any given day, if because of my schedule or whatever, I don't run, uh, I just don't feel right. I, I just don't feel the same way. So, I typically go out first thing uh, in the morning. Um, I am not a, typically a morning person, so uh, I have to kind of push myself out the yes. door. And but I find within a few blocks, uh, I'm wide awake, and you know the blood is uh, and oxygen are coursing through my my brain. Uh, also because I don't use caffeine, and I talk about that yes. in, the, in the book as well. But so it, it's a, a wake me up. But I, I used to run like when I was doing my doctoral dissertation. My schedule was a little more predictable. So I would run like uh, I would write most of the day and then I'd run at the end of the day sort of to relax. Yes. Now I find with my schedule uh, and the demands on my time, it's even if I put it on my schedule and something comes up, it's a little hard to say to somebody, well, I can't talk to you right now because I have to go running. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> but usually at uh, 5.30, 6 in the morning, I've got that time to myself. No one's knocking <laughs> at your door. Yeah, well, in college, I used to run 11 at night. Oh. And then in the military, I used to run at lunch hour. And now I'm running at like 6.15 in the morning. So yeah, different 
different times of life. So people can run any time of day and can still fit into their schedule. Well, you can. And I've, the, the few times that I have run at night, uh, because running seems to be uh, a wake-me-up, uh, I've had this sense that um, there'll be times when I do an evening run and I'm wide awake when I come back and then I can't go to sleep. That's, <laughs> that's the problem with, uh, yeah. That's why I did it when I was much younger than yeah. I am now. So we've been talking about different times of day to run, but what is the importance of having a morning routine to overall health, physical, and spiritual well-being? Well, I think having a morning routine is, is part of this sense of um, really having some structure to your day and, and to your life. I, um, I listened to a motivational uh, talk by a, a retired uh, military officer, and he, he would tell um, young uh, soldiers that, uh, the most important thing you should uh, you, you should do is make your bed when you get up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like somebody's mother. Yes, well, and this is in the military, but his point was, you know, if if you get up, get yourself out of bed and make your bed, you've already accomplished something. Yes. So you have this sense of accomplishment. Yes. And uh, so if you make your bed and then go out and run, uh, and then when you come back from running, you have, well, not only did I make my bed, but I just ran three miles. <laughs> yes. You know, and as if you pray, like I do while I'm running, it's like, okay, I got in some mental prayer or my yes. rosary while I was running. And uh, for me, I think most people, I would recommend that you have some kind of a prayer routine. You start, you make a morning offering uh, yes. at the beginning of your day. And I, uh, obviously as a priest or bishop, I would say mass every day, but you know, lay people can do that too in terms of, having a, a, a set routine in the morning, say your morning offering, if you have time before work to, to get to Mass and receive the Holy Communion, and you just make that part of a daily routine. Then it becomes something that um, is habitual, again, in a good sense. So virtues and vices are both habits. A, yes. a virtue is a good habit, right. and a vice is a bad habit. So you get in the habit, for, for me, running in the morning is habitual. Uh, and what's good in, in the sense of being virtuous so it's not like uh, I have to get up in the morning and then think, well, what should I do today? <laughs> uh, should I run? Should I say prayers? Should I go to mass? You know, no, it's it's routine. I do it every day. <laughs> you don't have to think about it. It's right. programmed in. It makes the rest of the day so much easier. You know, to have that done early in the morning. Absolutely, yes. So you talk about reward. That's the seventh of your R's, reward. So what do you think are the rewards of running that might motivate somebody listening who hasn't run before? I'd say the best uh, reward is in terms of how you feel. You know, I just, I feel so much better uh, because I think the running has enabled me to keep my weight down over these years. So I don't uh, feel like I'm carrying around a lot of extra weight, which would make me, I think, sluggish. Uh, I think also, I, I like the saying, motion is lotion. Um, <laughs> yes. People always ask me, with knowing how much running I'm doing, they say, oh, your knees, how are your knees? And I say, my knees are fine. I, the only problem I've ever had with my knees is I had an injury playing hockey. It was a hockey injury, not a running injury, when I was in college. <laughs> and I, I chipped some cartilage in my knee and, and had to have, this is old-fashioned uh, knee surgery before they had yeah. arthroscopic surgery like oh today. So I was, yeah, I was on crutches for a couple, I was in the hospital for a week, crutches for two weeks. Wow. And six weeks later, I was out playing hockey and have not had any problem with my knees since then. So I attribute that to, to running. And I, I think, uh, ironically, people who, who are more sedentary, they might think, well, I, you know, I don't want to wear out my knees, so I'll just kind of sit around and you know, not do anything. I, I think it has the opposite effect. It's yes. like uh, your, your, your muscles atrophy. And then I, I think it's almost like, it's almost like they're rusting out because they're not getting used. <laughs> One thing that you talk about that, I don't know if I've ever heard a bishop talk about this, but is the importance in chapter eight about play and fun in life. What would you say about that? Well, I think that's, uh, that's a very important point because uh, you know, we, the whole thing with marathon training or any kind of exercise, it can, be, it can become very serious. And they're just like our faith. Our faith is, they're very serious aspects to our faith. But in the end, uh, our faith is all about the joy of eternal life. And similarly with, with uh, uh, running or playing hockey, uh, I, I tell the story of uh, uh, one of the goalies that I coach. I, co I helped coach the high school hockey team in Springfield, Sacred Heart Griffin <laughs> hockey team. We had a freshman goalie, and uh, he, had, he won the first game, but we won it 8-6, to six and he gave up six goals. Sure. And then, uh, then we lost the next game, and I could tell he was just kind of really getting down on himself. So... 
the next game we did the we finished the warm-ups and it's players come over to the bench so i usually talk to the uh, last minute talk to the goalie i said and i just asked him i said why do you play this game and he said well to to win i said no I, you don't play to win you play to have fun I said, no, don't get me wrong. I'm very competitive. I love to win and I hate to lose. But I just want you to go out there and have fun. He got a big smile on his face and he went out there and played a great game. He won because he was just having such a good time and he was so loose because he wasn't uptight. Do you remember the score of that second game? Uh, it was something like five to three or something okay. like that. He played very well. <laughs> that That's outstanding. I mean, yeah. to me, goalie has to be the most stressful position on the hockey team. Well, I tell, I tell people it's the only position in any sport it's the only role in life where if you make a mistake a red light goes off <laughs> behind every, everybody knows it's like you, you know if a goalie makes a mistake everybody knows it <laughs> how can listeners get a copy of your book bishop uh, you can get a copy of the book a couple of ways you can go to the publisher ave maria uh, press and uh, i also have a personal website and uh it's my nickname actually it's holygoalie.net and uh, holygoalie.net uh you just think of the holy goalie is in the net at the net and uh that through that personal website uh you can get a signed copy and do you have any last words you want to leave with listeners i just encourage people uh to to do what you you can to to uh um, be courageous if and uh if you uh if you're uh hesitant to do this by yourself get a partner get somebody and that's uh, yes. a great motivator as well as if you know somebody's you say i'm going to run at 6 a.m and you know somebody's waiting there for you that'll get you out the door bishop apraki thank you so much for being with us on dr doctor you're welcome god bless you and welcome back to dr doctor and welcome to the answer to this week's medical trivia question injuries and in long distance runners what is the most common location for injuries in long-distance runners? And I gave you seven locations between the bottom of the foot and uh, your abdomen. Is it heel, ankle, shin, calf, knee, thigh, or hip? Many of you probably got it. We hear about injuries and surgery in this area a lot, and it was the knee. So the bonus part of the question was, what technique did Bishop Peprocki talk about that has been demonstrated, in fact, in this study, to protect against this type of injury? And that was he recommended gradually increasing your distance each week. Two high-quality studies have shown that do, that does reduce knee injuries in runners and joggers. Well, you know, everybody thinks running is bad for you, and they, they would use the evidence, I knew a runner and he hurt his knee. <laughs> um, but in, in all reality, we were actually designed to move and designed to run, and running with the proper technique and the proper equipment shouldn't in and of itself cause injury, I think that's fair to say. I think so. In, in um, 2007, I was told by a doctor I would never run again because I kept having a really locked up hip with super tight muscles. And then I accidentally discovered in this uh, training program I was doing that had sprints as part of it, that when I sprinted, I never had pain in my hip. But if I landed in my heel, I always had pain. And then I discovered this crazy thing called midfoot running. And I mentioned it at the beginning of the show. And there's a, a, a book I read that was given to me by a patient. And it's called Qi Running, C-H-I, like a, a, a Chinese word, Qi. And it talks about, you know, gravity-based running where you're falling forward and how, you know, there's a 2012 study that showed that runners who land on the middle or front of the foot had half as many injuries as people who land on their heels. So not surprising. So that would be another tidbit, Qi Running, C-H-I. But it's time for the top three takeaways of my good friend and co-host, Chris. Well, here's a takeaway. And to, you learned that in 2007. 1987, I was told that I would make an excellent forklift operator. <laughs> that just occurred to me. Uh, I hope you're listening, faculty advisor who gave me that advice. <laughs> Yeah, I love this episode. I love the mental picture of uh, the bishop jogging. I, I, I know he must be stopped by, uh, by his parishioners all of the time, but uh, I love that, that picture. But I would say the first one, there is just simply no way to underestimate the, the global health benefits of regular exercise. It doesn't have to be running. It could be anything. You just need to get moving. Amen. Yeah. Secondly, that this idea that mind and body are linked. Uh, healthy mind, healthy body, and the opposite, unfortunately, is true. Uh, and you can't neglect one for the other uh, because they're both absolutely critical. But a healthy mind and a healthy body are going to make uh, a happy person. 
And that reminds me, yesterday I had a patient that had on those ASICs shoes ah. that the bishop wears. And I said, hey, I know what that stands for. Do you know what that stands for? And the patient's like, no, doc, what? And I told him, you know, a healthy mind and a healthy body. Great, doc. Now, can you continue my surgery? <laughs> that could make its way into the medical trivia category on one of the future episodes. Yes, it could. And <laughs> your number three takeaway, Chris. Regular exercise gives us a all too seriously needed opportunity to achieve some internal silence. Uh, and focus on the moment. As one of our favorite uh, experts on the show many times, Dr. Kevin Majors will say, that that's the key, is getting getting quiet externally, finding some internal silence, and just being in the moment. And exercise, not with music blaring in your ears with little right. devices, uh, but exercise offers that opportunity for oh, silence. Oh yeah, I come up with some of my best ideas when I'm running. <laughs> and at the risk of repetition, let, let us remind you, it doesn't have to be fancy. It just mm -hmm. means get up and get moving. Go walk for a half an hour, uh, preferably with your spouse. That's very good for the marriage as well as the mind <laughs> uh, and the body. And speed that walk up and increase the length on a weekly basis, as the bishop has said. The next thing you know, you'll be running and you'll look like your own running shoe ad. <laughs> Thank you for listening to us in another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. Please share the good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend and invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app. And be sure to rate and review our show and be sure to be charitable when you do that. It helps other <laughs> listeners find us. You can find all of our episodes on our website, drdoctor.org. Be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And this is Dr. Chris Stroud. We're signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Tune in for new episodes every Friday and find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.